You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Today's Bible reading comes from Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 26, and they can be found at page 638. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Good morning. Wow. Like, first service was weak also. Like, second service, just as weak. Remember, Dazbog, we have a thing. Well, you can go to Dazbog right over here and get coffee for free. It's on us. Um, so you can do that after the service or before the service. We have a new thing that's going on with them right now that they will, uh, they're allowing us well, they're allowing you, uh, in partnership with us, to order not just regular coffee, but you can do a specialty drink, too. So that's new. They actually, they were really gracious and, uh, and reached out to me and said, hey, we can do this for you guys also. So, I'm just saying, that doesn't mean you can leave now, though. You have to, you have to wait <laughs> and then go after the service. Uh, as you can see, I, my name is not Nick. <laughs> uh, Nick is coming up soon. Uh, Nick is actually doing his internship. He's going to be preaching today. He's doing his internship here at Meadowbrook. Uh, part of his focus is on a, in our youth ministry, but it also has a pastoral element to it that extends beyond youth ministry. Uh, so he'll preach uh, a few times. You'll, you'll see him up here again uh, after, after this Sunday. You know, I think in November you'll see him again um, preaching. So I'm going to have Nick come up. He's going to share a little bit about himself before he gets started. Good morning. Mine was better. So now we've established that it's him that gets the week good morning. My name is Nick Wardle. Uh, I've been attending here for just about two years now, I believe. Honey? (laughs) She's no help. Uh, but it, we've, we've been attending for about two years, uh, that's a guess, but um, we attend third service, so some of you probably don't know me, and uh, I do want get to get to know everybody through my internship, so I figured I'd give a little bit about myself, but I'll keep it short because I don't want to take too much time talking about myself. Um, I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, graduated from Central High School in 2005, uh, went into the Marine Corps right after that uh, during the summer. Uh, and in November 10, 2005, I married my wife, Lauren, um, who 
is probably going to be shy now, even though she's normally very outgoing. Um, Again, we'll be celebrating 15 years of marriage this year, so kind of excited that comes up pretty soon. Um, We have a 14-year-old son, Kevin, who uh, just started high school this year, and then a soon-to-be 5-year-old on the 29th. He'll turn 5. His name is Bryson. Um, And I felt the call to vocational ministry uh, back in 2014 when I started my degree in uh, bachelor's degree in religion. Uh, I finished up that degree and immediately started working towards a master's of divinity. Um, Did a pastoral internship with my church in Oak Harbor where we were living while my wife was in the Navy. Uh, Did that for about two years. And then now I am in the last class of my master's degree uh, and doing my internship here. So part of that, as Pastor Keith said, we'll be working with the youth group, but anywhere else that comes up that I can serve, I'd be happy to help and get the experience. And um, I just like serving in any manner I can. So... But as much as I could go on talking about myself, I'll shift focus to what we're actually talking about today. And some of you might be familiar with the term one-upper. If you've spent any time around military people, you definitely know the term. Uh, But if you don't, I'll explain it a little bit. So one-upper is somebody who always has to have the best story. And so when you just bought a car, they bought a better one, or one with a bigger engine, or one that's faster. Um, If you ran a mile in six minutes, they ran it in five. If you... Uh, just had a bad day at work, they had a much worse day at work. They probably got fired and threw things as they left the office. Uh, I don't know if it comes from a competitive nature, attention-seeking, or pride, but we all probably know someone who's like this or will guilty of it doing, doing it ourselves. And I used to do this a lot, and when it was pointed out to me, I was a lot more cognizant of the fact that I was doing it. Um, but we tend to do this mostly with our friends, people we know. Um, certainly there, is, there are people who do it with anybody, Uh, But when we have a close friend or uh, a spouse or people that we interact with on a daily basis like our coworkers, we tend to share a similar story thinking that we're just doing it out of, hey, you know, I I experience this too. But at the same time, um, we're really trying to shift that focus from them to us. And so we're not um, much like what we're going to look at with our verses uh, when we tend to boast in things other than God, we try to shift the focus off of God and shift it to worldly things. So we'll be looking at Jeremiah 9, 23 through 26 today. And it's important to understand that to glory or boast in anything is to make it our primary pursuit, our source of joy and satisfaction. In other words, to glory in something is to idolize or fill ourselves with worldly things instead of of God. Before we get into the verses, though, it's, a little, it's necessary to know a little bit about the historical context of the passage. The book of Jeremiah takes place during the period of the last five rulers of Judah, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Jeremiah is called by God as a prophet in the 13th year of Josiah's reign, and as you look through commentaries, depending on if you know, they describe an early date or a late date to the writing of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was sometime, somewhere between the age of 12 and 22 years old. So he's very young, and to be somebody who's, I mean, if, if we go with an early date and he's 12 years old, um, to have to go speak before kings and to prophesy in the name of the Lord, that'd be pretty difficult. I can't imagine my 14-year-old son going to the president of the United States to talk to him. Um, so his time as a prophet runs all the way up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the first Babylonian exile. And so this is a pretty chaotic period of history for Jerusalem. Uh, and pretty chaotic period of history for Judah and, is- and the people of Israel. The previous chapter and the verses leading up to this passage 
are a lament or a passionate expression of mourning and loss. And it's a prophetic proclamation of God's judgment on Israel. And our verses conveniently break down into three main sections that we'll be looking at each section individually. Verse 23 is an explanation of what the world boasts in or glories in. And then verse 24, we're told of what the Lord wants his people to glory in and that it brings him delight. And then verses 25 and 26, we delve into the matter of circumcision of the heart. And first, we're going to look at verse 23, uh, and I'll read it again just so we're familiar. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. And God points out three areas that people like to find glory, uh, that we like to boast in. These are areas that all of us are familiar with in one way or another. They're areas that we attempt to fill a void that is intended to be filled by God. Sure, these might feel good for a time, uh, but that passes. They will never be enough, and we will always want more. So the three areas that he's talking about, we have wisdom, might, and riches. And as we go through uh, the sermon, you might hear me use power instead of might. Um, They're interchangeable in this case. So Uh, It is easiest to understand these simply by adding the word worldly in front of them. So we have worldly wisdom, worldly might, and worldly um, riches. Now understand that having wisdom, having power, having riches is not bad. Um, And they're not forbidden by any means in this verse. However, what we tend to see in our world is an insatiable need to seek after these things. A desire to fill our lives with more knowledge, more deeds, more power, a new title, more stuff, or praise of other people. We seek to be the smartest in the room, to be the strongest, fastest, or best athlete, or we lust after a better car, a bigger house, a promotion at work, or more toys. Further than that, we boast about these things and allow them to be our focus rather than God. We hold these in our hearts as higher than God and put confidence in their ability to satiate our desire. Martin Luther said this about idolatry, that idolatry is not only the adoration of images, but also trust in one's own righteousness, works, and merits and putting confidence in riches and power. We trust far too much in worldly things and expect that they will last forever. But what we find is no matter how much wisdom, power, or riches that we have, it's not enough. These areas leave us empty, and this is because that only forgiveness and salvation only come through Christ. So that hole in our heart that we're trying to fill with these things is intended to be filled with Him. Let's take a look at something that Paul writes in Ecclesiastes 9.11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the the learned, but time, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. What we see here, and what Paul is telling us, is that it doesn't matter how wealthy, or how wise, or how fast, or strong we are. Uh, The simple fact is that death comes to us all in the end. It doesn't matter... um, how much we've collected, we're still going to die. And then it's just a matter of if that death is just physical and we have eternity with our Savior, or it's spiritual and we're eternally separated from Him. And so this makes it all the more important that we can boast in the Lord as we see in verse 24. And Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 
God has told us the foolishness of glory and wisdom, power and riches. All of these will fade away, but thankfully he's telling us exactly what we should be doing. For Israel, this was a call to repentance. Um, They were being called to turn back to God. And the lament and prophecy that preceded this was intended for Israel to understand how necessary this was for them. The contrast between verses 23 and 24 shows the things of the world shows the things that the world considers important versus a handful of characteristics of God. No amount of what the world boasts in leads to a blessing by God. No matter how much wisdom or power or riches are amassed in one's lifetime, knowing and boasting in God is what brings him delight. This is what leads to the blessings of God's promises. And this isn't so different for us. In fact, the call to boast in the Lord is just as important for us to understand as it was for the Israelites. In fact, we see Paul quote it in 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 18. We see, We do not dare to classify ourselves with someone who commends commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that our, as, our, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will be greatly expanded, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now Paul in this verse is addressing opposition within the church in Corinth. Though Paul is certainly boasting in the verses, he points to the fact that boasting in God is important. He's giving credit to God for what's happened, and he's giving the glory to God for what he's done. And he accurately argues this through the quoting of Jeremiah 9.24. Just as wisdom, might, and riches in verse 23 are not condemned, Paul isn't outright condemning the opposition that he faces. He's not saying that, they're, that they've done bad things. He's just saying they don't have any sort of comparable or measurable... Um, they don't have any way of comparing or measuring themselves uh, to the standard of God. And something that I thought was interesting is, um, is that Paul states that his opponents are measuring and comparing themselves to themselves. Uh, essentially, they don't have anything to back up what they're saying. And so Paul was called to the church in Corinth. Um, all right. Uh, that's not going to happen. So Paul was called to the church in Corinth. Um, he had the right to claim that as his own. He had, he had put work in to establish that church and he had worked from there and was close with the people. The opposition that he's facing doesn't have that claim and they are saying that they did it. So we, we see that they don't have any way to measure this. And so my son Kevin, as I was going through my sermon yesterday, um, he, we were reading the first part about being the smartest person in the room and he said, Dad, I am the smartest person in the room when I'm in it, when I'm the only one in it. And so it was a little humorous to hear, but he kind of drew my attention to something, that when we compare ourselves to ourselves, there's no measurable standard by which to prove the claim. And Paul is showing how boasting, his boasting is that of one appointed by God and giving God the glory for what has occurred. So Paul has a measurable standard. He's measuring up to the standard of God. Now certainly, Paul, just like us, falls short of that standard, but there is something there.
The same can be understood about wisdom, might, and riches. When we have these things, it's not because of our own doing. It's a blessing by God. And we should be giving him the glory for the blessings in our life. And we see that Jeremiah writes for one to boast in knowing God and his love, justice, and righteousness. But this is a really tall order for us to do. You know, how do we go about beginning to describe the indescribable? And how do we go to understand the indefinable? God's love, justice, and righteousness go so far beyond human understanding that volume after volume of book has been written just trying to do that. And even over thousands of years and thousands of books, we haven't even been able to scratch the surface of who God really is. But boasting the Lord is not calling us to have that knowledge of God perfected. It's calling to give Him the glory and give Him the credit for what He's done. Certainly, spending time in His Word and seeking communion with Him through prayer and being active in a community of believers helps us to begin to know and understand Him. But another way that we can look at this is through His Word and the promises that He makes. And we see one of these in Micah 7:18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. When we compare this to the lament that we see in Jeremiah over Israel, and we see the continued disobedience that Israel has done throughout time, that man has done throughout time, Uh, when we compare this to the promise that's made in Micah, well, we see that God's mercy and love for his creation is so big, it's so grand. No matter how far away from God, no matter how fallen, God remembers his people and is willing to forgive, so much so that he sent his only son to die on the cross in our place. So as we begin to know and understand God, his love, justice, and righteousness, how do we boast in him? I think that James 3, 13 through 18 gives us a very practical way to do this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James alludes here that wisdom and understanding, much in the same way that our verses in Jeremiah do, uh, that this wisdom and understanding is not worldly, but is of God. What we learn is that our lives should reflect this knowledge of God through word and action. James writes that wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In other words, it is God's glory put on display through obedient service to him. Loving first God, then our neighbor. As James writes, this is seen through the way we live our lives, our deeds, our actions. This is something that requires a transformation from our fallen nature and leads us to the last section of our verses. The necessity for circumcision of the heart is what we see in Jeremiah 9, 25 through 26. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Amongst the list of nations we, uh, that we see, um, we see God's judgment 
we see two types of circumcision that are depicted. One is physical and one is spiritual. So we see circumcision of the flesh and circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the flesh was common practice in this time. So it, you see the list of um, nations that are listed in this verse, and not all of them followed and practiced what God told them to. So circumcision at this point in history was common practice amongst many nations. Uh, but there was never, it was never intended that circumcision only be physical. So it didn't matter if these other nations practiced this physical um, circumcision. The importance of what you know, uh, Israel was called to was the, the circumcision of heart, and it's a spiritual thing. So we see here that Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and those who dwell in the desert are all uncircumcised of heart. And we see that their actions show that they are. And, but the people of Israel should have known better. They've been called as God's people. So they had this, the background. So that's why they're not mentioned as the uncircumcised in heart. They're just mentioned as uncircumcised. So, well, they are uncircumcised of heart. Sorry, I, I should have uh, made that a little more clear. Um, but Israel was cut apart from the flesh, was cut in the flesh just as they were cut apart from the world as God's people. So there's many places that we can look at in the Bible, though, that talk about circumcision of the heart. But we'll look at two of them today. And first is Leviticus 26, 40 through 42. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. So we see a period of which Israel is, as the verse puts it, walking contrary to God. He's going one way and they're going another. And we've seen this since day one in the garden that our sin nature draws us away from God. They might have the physical trait of the covenant with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, the circumcision of the flesh, but their hearts are another matter. The wonderful thing here, though, that we see is the promise that God makes Israel. If they make amends and repent and turn back to him, he'll remember those covenants. And I should clarify, though, he didn't forget the covenant. He's withheld the blessing of the covenant because of their disobedience. God did not forget... Um, we see this theme of circumcision of the heart continued um, throughout the Bible, and especially we see it in Romans 2, 28 through 29. Paul writes this, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul touches upon the same correlation between circumcision of the flesh and circumcision of the heart that's seen in Jeremiah 25 through 26. Though circumcision can and is physical, that is not what's important. The importance is that one is changed spiritually by circumcision of the heart. As Paul explains, the spirit works in the believer to make circumcision of the heart possible. We see in Colossians 2.11 that it is through the circumcision at true belief in Christ that our sin nature is cut away from us. It is through this spiritual circumcision that one can even love God and transformation or sanctification, being set apart and made holy for God's service, is even possible. We do not circumcise our hearts by wisdom, might, or power, or riches. In fact, circumcision is not of our doing. It's only by grace through faith that it can be done. 
And all of this is only made possible because Christ made a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross in which our debt of sin is paid in his blood. And earlier we talked a bit about 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 18, but I wanted to make sure I highlight another time that Paul talks about boasting. In Galatians 16, 14, which won't have a uh, slide, but he writes, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul easily could have boasted about many things. He could have boasted about his position. He could have boasted about his status. He could have boasted about the hardships he'd been through since he accepted the call to follow Christ. He'd done a lot, and certainly many times we see him talk about how hard things were, the suffering that he had gone through. We see him talk and boast about the things that had been done in the church. But Paul always makes sure to point that glory to the cross of Christ. And John Piper wrote a book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life, and John Piper's a pastor, author, and theologian. Um, He writes this about Paul boasting in the cross. There's a very profound reason for saying that all exaltation, all rejoicing, all boasting in anything should be a rejoicing in the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul means something that will change every part of your life. He means that for the Christian, all other boasting should also be boasting in the cross. All exaltation in anything else should be exaltation in the cross. If you exalt in the hope of glory, you should be exalting in the cross of Christ. I think what John Piper has really done is homed in on a significant part of what being transformed by the Spirit looks like. It is very natural for us to boast of our accomplishments. It's very natural for us to boast of things we've done boast about our appearance and what we've accumulated. It's not natural to take what we normally boast in and give credit to God for doing that in our life. And it's also not, uh, it's not also natural for us to uh, boast in the Lord. The transformation that we're talking about is what allows the Christian to selflessly boast in knowing God, boast in the cross, and boast in Christ. So we've talked a lot today um, about what the world boasts in, about what we should be boasting in, and what brings delight to the Lord by boasting in Him. And we've also talked about the circumcision of the heart. But we have three questions that we should be asking ourselves as we try to apply this verse. First is, am I boasting in the Lord, or am I boasting in anything else? So what am I boasting in is our first question. And if the answer is anything other than boasting in the Lord then it's time for us to give this to him. And if we find that our heart isn't quite there yet, it's time to work on that relationship, and that'll lead us into our second question in just a minute. We need to do this through spending time in the Word, praying, and especially holding one another accountable. We're not intended to go through this alone, and as a community of believers, we have a responsibility to one another to hold each other accountable for our actions, our deeds, and the way we live our lives. We need to be continually searching our hearts for things that we boast in, and when we find them, we need to give them to God. We do this through prayer, and we ask others, and we talk with others about how we can overcome that area of our life. We can be proud of our accomplishments. It's not saying that you can't say you did a good job or pat someone on the back for doing something good. However, we need to give credit to God where it's due. The second question is this. Is your relationship with God personal, loving, and intimate? I don't know where everyone is with their walk with Christ. Certainly, there are probably some in this room or some joining us on the live stream that haven't given their lives to Christ. And if you haven't, the invitation is wide open for you to do so, for you to pray uh, for him to lead your life, for him to forgive you your sins, and for you to begin that intimate, personal relationship with him. If you're not there yet, 
I invite you to find me or one of the other staff anytime after the service or during the week uh, to you know, please talk with us about it. But possibly your relationship is on the rocks. Maybe you're holding a grudge against God for something he didn't do or something he did or something you're blaming him for. Or maybe your relationship is with God is stronger than ever. Maybe you are growing and you're just seeking his will in your life. But no matter, what, what, uh, no matter which spot you are in your life, or in your walk with God, the goal is that you should be asking yourself, is this a personal, loving, intimate relationship? And we should be seeking to get to this point and allow that relationship to shape every aspect of our lives. And finally, the third question is, how is the Spirit working in your life to shape and develop your heart? What are the areas that He's working on in you? Is there a relationship He's calling you to mend? or something that you're boasting in that he wants you to give up, or something that you're supposed to be giving him the credit for. His transformation that occurs in our life is a positive thing. The shaping and working could be nearly anything, but you should be seeking to see what it is that he's working on and join him there. And with that, let us pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and the chance to read through it. And I just thank you for the... just thank you for the word that we have in Jeremiah today, um, that we would be shaped by this, and it would be something that would be taken to heart. And just thank you for the chance to gather together as a community of believers. Uh, just thank you for the chance to be um, with other people who can hold me accountable, uh, that we can hold one another accountable for our actions in our lives. And I would just ask that you soften our hearts to really take this message to heart, um, that we would use it in our lives, that our lives would reflect you in our deeds and actions. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.